accident. I torn up a bunch of things. Um, and, uh, you know, when I, after I had, I had to be in this sling for, I had to be in a sling for a while. And as most of you guys know, when I talk, like I always use my hands, right? And so I'm in my sling, right? But I got to keep using my hand. And so my hand would just always like going like this for a long time. A lot of the junior hires always made fun of me because they were like, Aaron, what do you, anyway, um, well, Aaron's going to beat us up with slapping us or something. Anyway, um, well, the day of the surgery, something about me, anesthesia and I do not do well together, okay? We are not friends. Don't like it. Um, I uh, throw up an awful lot every time I have to have anesthesia. Well, day of the surgery, get, get my surgery done, and I'm in kind of the waiting room for a few hours, and finally, you know, whatever, and the doctor's like, okay, you need to go home. Uh, you can go home. Um, I get in the, you know, I get in the car. I'm not driving. Uh, we drive home. I get into the kind of lazy boy recliner that I'm going to spend the next few months in, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, drink some water and just kind of, just kind of chilling there for a little bit, kind of half days, half with it. And about an hour, hour and a half later, it's about getting close to dinner time now. I just start chucking it. Right. And I, I start throwing up and I'm throwing up everything, right? I just had some crackers. Those are coming up. Even though like the simplest thing, just even drinking water would make me, uh, make me throw up. Okay. And, uh, they call, they call in a prescription for some like medicine that's supposed to deal with nausea that I just put under my tongue that, you know, is supposed to dissolve under my tongue. I start puking that up, right? The, like the chillest thing that they can think of putting in my stomach, I'm throwing that up. So eventually they're like, hey, you need, you know, my pain meds are wearing off for my surgery and I'm getting really dehydrated. They're like, you need to go back to the hospital and get an IV. So go back to the hospital there for a few hours, get an IV, uh, fluids and all that sort of stuff. And they're like, you know, you're good now. Go home. You know, it's getting, it's getting late, probably 10 o'clock later by now. You go home and rest, okay? And we're driving home, and we're like two minutes away from my house and driving in my car, and I just start losing it again and just throwing up. I mean, I really, I just drank water, and I'm losing that, right? And, you know, Abby turns the car around and, like, drives me back to the hospital, um, and we're like, hey, we were just here, and we're back again. Because, um, I mean, part of the problem is if I keep throwing up, I can't take pain meds, and I've just had, like, surgery to cut open my shoulder. Um, so we're there and, um, at, at this time, like, I mean, for, keep in mind, I'm like just out of it. Right. Uh, I've had surgery. I'm on, I'm all loopied up and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's close to midnight. Now we have three young kids. Uh, my wife is exhausted. I'm a puking mess and we're out of hospital. I'm just like, I'm, I have no idea what's going on. And, and Bob Scholl shows up at the hospital that night. And, uh, honestly, I don't totally un know what happened over the next like six hours or so of my life. Um, uh, but I know, uh, Bob sent my wife home to, to go to bed and make sure our kids were okay. Um, I, I vaguely remember sitting in the parking lot of some like 24 hour pharmacy, picking up some other med. I don't really remember what's going on. I just remember again when the following morning I'm in my lazy boy recliner. So don't know exactly what happened. Um, but I know in that moment, Bob really cared for me and for my family. And you think about a story like that, I think about how do you think that affected my relationship with Bob even to this day? 
You know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Bob always has my back. And even if he might do something that looks a little like inconsiderate or like, were you thinking about me here? I know that deep down, he always has my back and wouldn't intentionally ever do anything mean to me. Um, and I, I pray you would have kind of a similar relationship with your parents, right? Maybe they might do something and you're like, that's a head scratcher. But for all the years that they have like taken care of you, you know, changed your diapers, cha- you know, helped you with your owies or whatever, done your laundry, whatever those things are, that you would know that they have your back. And even when things don't make sense, you trust them. Why? Because I remember the good things that they have done for me in the past. You know, even, um, even this past Wednesday with s- small groups starting off, which I think were awesome, um, the junior hires all you, you know, know that uh, we, we have our game time, and then after game time, I always pull everyone together for a few minutes, and we, you know, we kind of talk about what the lesson is that we're going to, what passage scripture we're looking at that night, right? Well, normally, I just do it in the junior high room where there's a nice sound system all set up. Uh, since we're doing it outside, and you guys don't want to hear me in my big megaphone that just hurts people's ears, I wanted to pull out uh, this sound system that we use here on Sunday morning uh, so, so everyone could hear me. Well, uh, I go, uh, go to where the sound system is stored in the junior high sound booth, and it's not there. Why isn't it there? Because, you know, Bob had grabbed it, and Lee had grabbed it for the senior high group because for some music outside, which is great. And in that moment, I have a choice to make, right? Where, it's, where, where the equipment I want, the thing I need at that moment is not where I want it at that moment. I have a choice to make. I can either start thinking, oh my goodness, Bob, Lee, Charlotte, there they go. They don't think about what junior high needs. They're only like thinking about themselves. Or, or I can say, you know what? They have always had my back before. Do I really think that they were like, hey, we know Aaron needs this, but we're just going to screw him right now. No, they're not thinking that. They made, you know, they, uh, they have always had my back. Bob, Lee, they've always had my back. And, and really, it was like, it's not really that big of a deal. Because the church has another uh, outdoor system that I can use, and it just required a little extra exercise on my part. But I, I bring that up because I, I, hope it, I hope it makes you think, realize how important it is when there's a gap in your brain between, uh, between kind of what you're seeing and what you're experiencing and your expectations, right? I expected that to be there. It wasn't there. There's now this gap. And I can fill that gap with anger. I can fill that gap with bitterness. I can fill that gap with, man, they're just so stupid and selfish. Or I can fill that gap with a trust. I can fill that gap with, think through some of the things they've done for me in the past. Remember the past. And choose to trust. And and that's what I want to encourage us to do the same thing today with God. See, we're going to constantly in life face situations where we're like, I don't make any sense to me. I don't get what is going on here. And instead of saying, God, I'm mad at you. I'm angry at you. I'm bitter. How could you allow this? You, you're, you're a jerk, God, just kind of playing with me. Saying, God, I know what you've done before in my life. I know how you've been faithful to me before. 
And so today, I want to choose to trust that you are faithful again. Um, before we continue, I want you to turn to a neighbor, turn to a buddy, and just answer this simple question. What's one thing, maybe over the last month, where it's been hard for you to trust God? Um, maybe a hard situation that doesn't make sense. Maybe obeying one of his commands or obeying your parents when you're like, this is, seems, I don't want to. Maybe it's stepping out and sharing your faith in, in some arena. Maybe just what's one situation over the last month where it might have been a little harder for you to trust God. You got one minute with your friend, go. God in heaven, um, I just come before you just really grateful for this beautiful weather you've given us. I thank you for the opportunity we have to fellowship together and, and to be here, Lord. I do pray uh, that you just bless our time in your word, and I pray that you would help us remember that you always have been faithful and you always will be faithful. You are a good God, and we give you praise this morning. May you be honored in this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So last week, we started a series uh, looking at the book of Joshua. And just as you remember, as a context, you know, the Israelites uh, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God uh, sent Moses uh, to deliver them. And you got the whole, like, you know, 10 plagues uh, that God sends. Uh, and, and God, by his miraculous hand, gets the people out of slavery, right? And then uh, as soon as they get out of slavery, they're walking, and then they're trapped by the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army's on one side of them, and the Red Sea's on the other side, and they're like, oh my gosh, we're all going to die here. And Moses says, hey, stop. Here comes the salvation of the Lord, okay? And God, uh, and God in his mercy parts the Red Sea. Moses raises his hands, it was a staff, and Red Sea parts, they walk on dry ground, um, and, and the Egyptian army all dies there. Uh, but then, because of their unbelief, the nation of Israel spends 40 years in the wilderness, just kind of wandering around there uh, until a whole generation, God had said, anyone over the age of 20, uh, you're going to die here in the wilderness because of your unbelief. And now the kids have been raised up, and they've finished wandering, and they're at the bank of the Jordan River, about to cross into uh, into the promised land. But there's a river in the way. And the river is at flood stage. And now, when you and I, we think river crossing, we're like, what's the big deal, right? Because we are so used to bridges, okay? Everywhere we go, there's just, you know, it's, there's another bridge that we can easily cross. It's not really that big of a deal. And we just, we drive over bridges and rivers all the time. But for them, it was a big deal. And remember, it says, it's going to say it's at flood stage at this time. So it's going to be several hundred feet across. It's going to be deep. Um, you know, this, this past summer, we were at this lake. And to the other side of the lake was probably like 300 feet or so. And, you know, and there was kind of the challenge, well, can, can we swim across this? And, and I just remember swimming across it. And I was like, I am wiped from this. This is, this is, like, this is like exhausting. There's no easy task. And they didn't have a whole collection of boats. Um, and honestly, you know, typically the people that day, they would just walk, uh, you know, a couple hundred miles, about a hundred miles around, um, or uh, just wait for a lower season, uh, wait for the river to go down. They've been camping there three days, and Joshua knows that God is getting ready to do something big. Um, and so he's telling the people, hey, get ready, get ready. God's about to do something. And in Joshua chapter 3, uh, if you've got a Bible, you can look there. Um, I'm going to start in verse 7, okay? Joshua 3, verse 7 says this. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that, with, that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. So God's, God goes off and starts talking to Joshua and says, hey, today I'm going to exalt you. I want the people to know I'm with you just like I was with Moses. Now, some of the, some of the people may have been uh, kids under 20 when the whole Red Sea happened. A lot of them, though, just heard, have heard about the whole Red Sea experience uh, from, uh, from their parents, right? And now Joshua is going to do his own water crossing. And it's very, I think God is very intentional about, for, you know, there were a lot of different ways they could have come into the promised land. But God's very intentional about this because he wants, to, he wants them to see just really powerfully, just as he was with Moses, he's going to be with Joshua. He wants them to know and always be able to look back and remember his power in this event. And so he's going to give some instructions to the priest, uh, you know, go carry the ark and stand at the water's edge. And we read this in verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gershites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. What he's saying here is God's about to do this miracle for you. And again, the whole point of the miracle is so that when you go and you have to fight a battle, and there's going to be some battles coming up because there were all these ites that he's talking about. When you have to go and you got to fight one of these ites, you remember that God did this crazy miracle for you, right? He's the one that could part the Red Sea, and if he, or any part of the Red Sea is going to part the Jordan River for you. And if he could do those, you better believe he's going to be able to, to defeat your enemies. He gives them this miracle so they'll trust him in the future. We read in verse 11, See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth, it's not just the Lord of some of the earth. The Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Joshua tells the people exactly what's going to happen. The priests are going to walk down to the river's edge. As soon as they touch the water, all the water will be, it'll be like a, a dam is built right there and hold back all of the water. And so we read in verse uh, 14, so when the, pre, the people broke camps across the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away, all the way to a call, town called Adam in the vicinity of Zareth, while the water is flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that's the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. I love how that, that verse says has that yet in there. Hey, guys, it's flood stage, yet God was able and powerful enough to stop that water. And he's, again, he's doing this as a sign. He does this crazy miracle. And he's like, hey, you want to know how big and crazy and powerful I am? Look at this river. It's raging. It's at flood stage. And all you have to do is have your priests touch foot in that water. 
boom, it is all stopped. Okay. I, uh, I like going to like beaches and things like that. Um, and, it, and a lot of times when we're at beaches, right, I'm building sandcastles and I'm always trying to build like some structure that can stand against the wave. And let's be real, it just doesn't happen, right? And even when we build it with something stronger, our nation is constantly trying to build stronger and stronger coastlines and things like that. And then another hurricane comes, another windstorm, another something comes and they always get knocked over, man. The power, think about the power of water. All, all throughout history, um, you know, um, uh, Three Gorges Dam in, uh, in China, biggest dam ever uh, built. You know, they were like, hey, we're going to build this and it'll prevent all future flooding in China and, and it's going to be great and all this sort of stuff. And I, I was reading an article about it the last week. Um, and, and again, they're, they're like, well, we built this huge dam that, that you know, uh, we spent billions of dollars on it and it still is not solving the problem. We keep having all these rainstorms flooding. Um, and I just, I don't think we, we read this story in the Bible, right? And like, oh, hey, they just, you know, touched the water and uh, you can cross on dry land. And we're like, oh, what's the big deal? Can, I mean, just, but just wrap your mind around that for a second. They touched the water and a river at flood stage just stopped. Okay. I, I know this is maybe a little more of a product of my childhood. Has anyone played the game Oregon Trail or Oregon Trail 2? Okay, the computer game that. Oh, man, that's awesome that people played that game. Okay, uh, I played it, played it as a kid. I mean, it was like one of the first. It was supposed to be like an educational game and all that sort of stuff. But I remember playing it as a kid. I was like, what is the big deal with all the river crossings? If you ever played the game, you're trying to get your like uh, people from Kansas City to Oregon to settle out there, and you got your wagon that you're in, and you got to you know uh, go through all these things. But the dangerous, the most dangerous part of the whole game is always the different river crossings, and you know like your boat capsizes or breaks or something like that. And I was always like, what's the big deal? But again, I'm thinking like I just get in my car and I drive, and we have all these things called bridges right? And we don't think about it. And so we read a miracle like this and we're like, oh, what's the big deal? Man, this was huge for them. Um, for those of you who've been to Haiti with me, especially some of the first trips we went on to Haiti, there was always some river crossing drama, right? They don't have the same bridge uh, infrastructure system as we, we do there. I mean, I've had a, it should be a four hour trip that's taken me 12 hours because our truck has been stuck in the water. Um, and then it ends with me like holding a flashlight on the back of a motorcycle because we just got stuck in a river. Um, and, and we've had uh, times where we've had to like take two extra hours to drive around a flooded river into the mountains. Um, we've had to disassemble parts of cars like mid river crossing and ropes breaking mid river. But again, we're just so used to this bridge and God here is doing this absolutely insane miracle for the people to say, Hey, I'm God. I'm God. And when you're going later on and you got to fight this nation, that nation, and the next nation, and you're like, I don't know if we can do this. Remember. Remember that time when all that you needed to happen was the priest touched the water and it stopped. And if I can stop a raging river, you better believe that I can defeat any nation that you face. And we continue in, in Joshua 4. Uh, it says this, starting in verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, 
one from each tribe, and tell them to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them at the place where you stay tonight. So God's going to command one person from each tribe to go to get a stone. And you're going to see later, these aren't like little bitty stones. You're more like boulders. Put it on your shoulder. And they're going to, they're going to get it to make this kind of mound of stones. We read this in verse, uh, as it continues in verse 5. Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of Israel, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And here you see kind of the why behind it. God says, I want you to make this pile of rocks. So later on, when your kids are like, hey, why are this pile of rocks here? You can say, God. God parted the Jordan River right here. Think about that, guys. And we continue in verse 18, and the priests came out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stages before. Just to continue the, the, the miraculous nature of this whole thing, um, you know, where you see it's clearly the hand of God. They walk out of the Jordan. As soon as they're done, boom, waters start flowing again. In verse 20, it says this, and Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of Jordan. He said to the Israelites in the future, when your descendants ask your parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. The Lord God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before we had crossed over. He did this so that all peoples on earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. It's always about remembering what God has done. The Israelites are always to be remembering how powerful God is and telling others about it. Now, in, uh, in this series we're in, uh, we're talking about some of the character traits to, uh, required to enter the promised land. And last week, Bob talked about how we need to be strong and courageous. And this week, I want to encourage you that a key character trait we need in order to move forward in our relationship with the Lord and take the promised land to have a, a great relationship with the Lord is that of remembrance. We need to always remember the things God has done when you're fighting a battle because the battle will be hard. But God was faithful yesterday. He's going to be faithful today. And he's going to be faithful tomorrow. I want you to turn to your neighbor real quick and just answer this question. Why do you think it was so critical to remember in order for them to take the land? Why do you think it would be so critical for the Israelites to remember in order to be able to take the land? You got one minute with your neighbor. Go. All right, guys. This one's easy. Anyone want to guess? <clears throat> God wanted them to. God wanted them to remember him. Yes, but why was it such a big deal? All right, I'll ask it this way: When your parents tell you to do things, <clears throat> do you always do them? 
No. And and what what sometimes when you aren't following the rules, what uh, what's the excuse you give? I'm busy. Yeah, or I forgot. I wasn't supposed to do that. How, when you read the Old Testament, you think how many times God, Israel saw all these miracles, right? How uh, how could they forget about God? But they did, and and we do it too, right? We forget really fast. So I think putting up that stack of rocks <clears throat> okay. was a big deal. People forget. So, in order to get me to the place of being a pastor here at RBC, uh, this was uh, oh, 13 years ago. Um, uh, Abby and I were praying, and we knew God wanted us to do something else. Uh, I was working in an engineering firm. And we're like, Lord, we know we, you want us to do something else, but we don't know what that something else is. And I was having lunch one day uh, with Bob, uh, who had always been a friend and mentor of mine, the group and youth group here. And he's like, well, Aaron, I have a job. It's yours if you want it. And uh, it was basically Lee's current position, but it, it didn't exist uh, at the time. And uh, it goes back to this whole series of events and things that happened. And it just happened that Bob had, was designing this new position um, wasn't even thinking about me in it. And uh, I was like feeling like at the same time, God was working in my heart uh, to change things. In, and, and a lot of people are like, well, that's random circumstance. No, that wasn't random circumstance. That's God moving. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't random. He, was, he, had a, he had a powerful plan. And even, even when Bob mentioned it to me, I was still pretty hesitant. And I asked the Lord to do four things for me. And over the next, over the next week, the Lord did all of those things in an amazing, uh, amazing way. And the, the biggest and most final one was uh, I wanted uh, my dad to, to bless it. I wanted my dad to say, yeah, hey, I'm behind it. Uh, because five years before uh, that, he had been really adamant that I not take uh, this other ministry position. And uh, I still remember so clearly this day, we, were, we went over to my parents' house, had dinner with them that uh, week. Um, and uh, I was talking to them, kind of explaining kind of some of my thoughts and the position and what it would look like and all this sorts of thing. My dad listened to all the details. And remember, five years before, my dad was like the most heated, dis heated argument I've ever had with my dad happened five years before this. And it was over me con considering a ministry position. And it was a very heated argument between the two of us. Um, and my dad looked me in the face and said, Aaron, you'd be a fool not to take that job. Talk about just, in my mind, just a miracle. And the reason that was, that's been so critical in, in my life is when things are hard and what I'm doing now, because there are days where I love what I do, but there are days that are just really hard in what I do. And, and I always think back to that time, and I, I can still, like, play. I, I still play my dad's voice back in my head of, Aaron, you'd be a fool not to take that position. Because it's, it's just this reminder. God orchestrated the events to bring me to this, to this place. And if God orchestrated the events to bring me to this position, he must be the one enabling me, strengthening me, providing for me today. And I always can look back, uh, back to that.
Um, and, and this is what is, the Israelites were supposed to do with this, all these rocks. Remember what God has done. You know, I, I think a, a big one where I see God fighting for us right now, I'll be really honest with you, is with the, with the weather. We right now, yeah, Lee's shaking his head because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. We need, we need good weather for our ministry outside. And you know, the week of summer camp, it was great to have it here. The only times it really rained on us were one time where it, was, it only rained while, we were pre, while uh, Paul was preaching for one time, and we had planned an, out, uh, excuse me, an indoor game one day. And those are the only two times it rained the whole week, right? There were so many other things. We would have been really bad if it rained these other days. But, I mean, we just randomly picked a Wednesday, hey, we're going to have an indoor game at 2 o'clock uh, just to maybe be a brief break, a change of pace, things like that. What do you know? That's the one time it rains. I mean, it was the constant provision of the Lord this past Wednesday, man. Uh, it was a light rain all afternoon. It stops around 6 p.m. Um, and after I got home a, a little after 10, it starts raining again. Um, you know, even for this right now, you realize we don't really have a plan B if it rains on Sunday morning, right? But God in his mercy uh, has, has been so good for us. You know, we've done first fruits for over 30 years. And we've had some like drizzly days. We've had some cold days for first fruits. But we have never been rained out in 30 years. That is the provision of a powerful and awesome God working. And those are key things. Yeah, you can clap for that. I mean, yeah, amen. And I have to remember those things because there are days where I'm like, God, where are you? Hello, God, you were supposed to show up. This isn't working the way that I wanted it to work. Where are you, God? And God's like, hey, Aaron, think back to any of these other things that I've done. Do you really think that I woke up today and I just forgot about you? I've been faithful before. I will be faithful today. And I don't, I don't have like piles of rocks or anything, but I do have a lot of random mementos and things that I keep around me to remember things. And my desk at work is this doorknob, and most people think of this, like, why do you have a dumb doorknob on my desk? It reminds me of a time uh, at Virginia Tech and one of my roommates there, and something the Lord did in a powerful way there. And I keep it on my desk because I always look at it, and I remember how powerfully God worked there. Um, another nerdy thing from my office, these are uh, bacteria spore test strips. This is something from my old job that I, that, I, that I used to do. I have this pinned on my board. I look at it all the time, um, and it reminds me of God's faithfulness and what he did uh, there. In my wallet, um, not only do I have a periodic table in my wallet, uh, I always keep uh, this. It's a, a 10 kuna thing. It's the, the money in Croatia, and it reminds me not only to pray for the church in Croatia uh, and pray for Garrett, even though he's not in Croatia anymore, but it reminds me of a few just miracles that I saw God do in Croatia when we were there. And I just, I, every time, I, every time I, I see these things, every time I'm like going to pay someone and pull that out and I see that, I'm reminded of the way God worked in my life in those times. If you go into my office, on the back of my doors, all these pictures uh, that the kids in Haiti have drawn for me, and I have them there as a reminder to pray for them and to, the ways where I know that God, uh, God is at work. And in my office, an important thing, there are the pictures of every one of the eighth grade classes, graduating eighth grade classes. I here just have this, this, this is a senior class right here. 
beautiful picture of you, Tyler, right here. Um, love that. Uh, Taylor Henshaw, you're here. Anyway, I know you're here. Oh, Miss Edwards, there you are. And Jay, there you are too. You, anyway, you probably don't want me to show this off, but you can see pictures back from when Tessa was a eighth grader and Moises was an eighth grader. Anyway, lots of good old, old pictures there. But I, those things are always on my wall. Um, those things are always on my wall because I want to remember those. I want to pray for those things. And I, 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 I want to just rejoice in what I've seen God do. Um, other ways you can remember just journaling and, and writing things, you know, that's another great uh, tool you can use uh, to remember. The whole point is God is in saying, be intentional not to forget. Be intentional to not forget what God has done. What are the ways you can remind yourself? You know, what's, what's the, the, uh, um, the home screen image on your phone? In all seriousness, is it, just a, is it just something funny? Uh, is it a funny picture or, or a nice picture? You take? Could you use that as a way every time you put, every way you pull out your phone, something that reminds you of the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God? I know you're all pulling it out right now. That's a really simple application. Write something on your mirror. Uh, write a Bible verse on your mirror. Whatever it is, put them in places where you always see them. Okay? And that's, that's how we remember. I have, hey guys, real quick. I just want to be really intentional about always putting things in places where I can remember. Okay? I know uh, a lot of you are wearing this shirt right now right? And yours probably isn't as sweaty as mine. But part of the reason we give out summer camp t-shirts every year, and you got the immovable ones on, that's awesome. Raise your hand if you're wearing a summer camp t-shirt right now. There's, okay, there's a bunch over there. Part of the reason we give out these shirts is that every time you put it on, you remember what God has done at that camp. What did God teach you there? What did he tell you uh, there? Okay, that's part of it. Last thing, uh, I would just, I want to share with you as it, rem as it relates to remembering. Some of you may be like, I don't really have anything to remember. I don't know. If you ask me, how do I know God's been faithful? You might be like, I, I don't know. Part of the reason that you may be able, you may not know, might not be, maybe just because you're not thinking about it. I mean, if that's the case, I'd encourage you to maybe even go talk to your parents and say, Mom, Dad, how do I know? How do you know God is faithful? Mom, can you give me some stories? Dad, can you share some stories from your life? So that's one thing I would encourage you to do. The other thing, though, is part of the reason you may not have a story of how God has been faithful is because you're not in the fight. Um, I love playing video games. I'm not saying there's something wrong with that, but I can tell you this. You hear very few of my sermon illustrations come from some time I was playing a video game, okay? Most of the life, most of the time where I can remember God's faithfulness is when I'm out serving him and doing something in uh, ministry. I mean, shoot, even, even all my little really silly things that I was putting up, my, my doorknob and, and my bacteria test strips and my money uh, from Croatia, those are all times I've been out serving, doing things. I like to read biographies of, of World War II veterans and things like that. I love reading their military stories, but it took them first going to war in order for them to have a story. And I know for a lot of us, 
If we're not fighting a battle, we're not going to have any stories to tell. And, and, and I would encourage you today, first of all, go ask your parents for some stories. And second, I would encourage you to say, okay, well, where am I fighting? Part of that fight is just going to be to practically obey. Talking to some of the guys earlier and like, uh, you know, answering one of the questions, what's hard? Just obeying God at times is hard, okay? I'm not, not disagreeing with that, obeying my parents and things like that, honoring them. That's a practical way where you can start fighting. Sharing your faith is another huge one. I have so many of my life stories of where I know God, is, God has been faithful is when I've stepped out and been intentional with other people and serving them and investing with them, uh, bringing up the gospel. And if you're like, oh man, I don't even know how to share the gospel, I would, I would encourage you to talk to one of your leaders talk to myself, Rebecca, Bob, Lee, Charlotte, and say, hey, I would love to know how to share the gospel better, and you better believe we would love to talk to you about that um, and love to work with you on that. Just caring for other people and being intentional, I have, that's, where, that's where I have seen God's faithfulness over and over and over again. See, things in life are going to be hard. Things in this semester are going to be hard to really take that promised land and enjoy the fruitful relationship with the Lord will have challenges. But in those challenging moments, we need to remember that God was faithful yesterday. God's faithful today and God's going to be faithful tomorrow. And if you're really struggling to believe, God, are you really faithful? I just encourage you to remember and consider this. Over 2,000 years ago, the God of this universe loved you and loved me enough that he chose to send his one and only son to live a perfect life and to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins. See, I was eternally separated from God because of the things that I did wrong, but God loved you and he loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for me the ultimate display of his goodness and his love towards you and towards me. And even if I have nothing else to say, God, why are you faithful? I would encourage you to remember that, that Jesus did that for you. And that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to give eternal life to anyone who would believe in him. Man, that's my God. That's how good he is. That's how faithful he is that he would send his son to die for you and for me. You can't remember anything else. Remember that today. God, same yesterday, today, and forever. He was faithful yesterday, he was faithful today, faithful forever. Don't forget his faithfulness. Let me pray for us. God, you are a good, kind, merciful, awesome, holy, righteous, and amazing God. And we give thanks for the opportunity we have to, to know you and to serve you and to worship you, Lord. God, and I, I do pray that in the dark times, in the times we're questioning, the times where we don't get, we don't know what's going on, and it doesn't make any sense to you, to us, Lord, that we would remember back to what you've done for us before. We'd remember the cross. We'd remember your goodness and your faithfulness in all things and worship you and give praise to you. God, I pray that uh, for us today that we would make those mementos that we don't forget how good and how faithful you have been and always will be. We thank you again for your mercy and kindness and ask that the rest of our day just be filled with worship towards you because you're good in God. In your son's name we pray, amen.